I'm Eric. And I'm Rob. Together, we host the Pulpit Fiction Podcast, the lectionary podcast for those who looked up Ezekiel 2517 and were sorely disappointed. Every week, we dig into four lectionary Bible passages. We'll feed your spirit, engage your mind, and kickstart your creative analysis, and hopefully get a laugh or two along the way. So if you like Art of the Sermon, check us out on the web at pulpitfiction.com or search Pulpit Fiction wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hey, this is Dan Wonderlich from Defining Grace, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Reverend Olu Brown, the founding and senior pastor at Impact Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Olu joins us today to talk about the unique opportunities and challenges of preaching and doing ministry in a big city like Atlanta. Well, my guest today is Reverend Olu Brown. He's the founding and senior pastor at Impact Church in downtown Atlanta. Olu, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you. So grateful to be here with you. Awesome. Well, we like to begin each podcast by asking our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves as well as their ministry and its context. Yes. Well, my name is Olu Brown, and I serve as the lead pastor of the Impact Church, which is a fairly new church plant. We turned 10 years old in East Point, Georgia, which is a bedroom community of downtown Metro Atlanta. And so we've uh, been going now uh, for these past 10 years started worshiping in a middle school and now have our own property and we're part of the uh, United Methodist denomination but our reach through the United Methodist Church is around the world and so grateful for the opportunity uh, to be in service. That's really great. Tell us a little bit about your philosophies and general approaches to preaching. If you had a mission statement or a guiding principle what might it be? Awesome. The guiding principle for me is something that I was taught by a mentor, and the mentor said, if you believe it, they will believe it, Mm. and the they meaning the congregation, the audience, or whatever the group you're speaking to. And so often when we think about preaching, sometimes the person who is the communicator isn't convicted by whatever the message or title of subject is, and so it transfers over to the listener. And Mm. so if we don't believe it and aren't convinced of it, then it will be difficult for the hearer to receive it. Yeah, that's great. Well, can you tell us a little bit about what uh, drew you to Atlanta and what made you want to plant a church there? Yes. So I grew up in Texas and went to college in Texas and at an early age knew that I was called into ministry, in particular, uh, initially pastoral ministry. And so I started searching for seminaries to attend while in college and selected and was accepted into a seminary in Atlanta, Georgia. So the specific seminary is Gammon Theological Seminary, which is a part of the Interdenominational Theological Center. And so it was the school I attended that drew me to Atlanta. But of course, Atlanta, one of the most well-known cities in all the world, yeah. is a great place to be. And so developed significant relationships that I still have today and met my wife, and uh, we have two children now. And so Atlanta has been a great place to me, and it's now almost 18 years later. Oh, wow. What are, what are your, some, some of your favorite things as someone that's been there for so long? A lot of us may pass through or will fly through and stop in at the airport, but uh, tell us about the Atlanta that you know and love. Yeah, great. So one is the airport. I live <laughs> roughly 10 minutes from the airport and had no idea when I first moved here what a blessing the airport would be. One, to bring people from all the world who come to Atlanta live, work, and play here, and we get a chance to connect with them, but also to send you into all the world. And so I've been fortunate to travel internationally 
and it's such a blessing. Um, also, I enjoy the culture of Atlanta. Atlanta has a rich uh, southeastern culture now that it's becoming more blended because the running joke is it's hard to find somebody who was born in Atlanta <laughs> yeah. uh, currently. But there are a lot of uh, native um, Atlanta folks here, and it's always good to connect with them and hear the historical perspective, but also the blending of cultures from around the world. We have a great and strong, thriving technology industry here, and so our students are exposed uh, to tech. Our students are also exposed to movie industry. We also have um, several uh, major corporations that represent global trade and the economy around the world. Uh, high academic standards uh, from our um, places of higher education, and so some of the greatest colleges and universities around the world. And so you always have World of Coke. You've got the King Center and the rich history of the civil rights movement. Right. So any number of things um, are exciting to me about uh, Atlanta. And, and I'm guessing that the town you grew up in, Texas, was, was nothing like Atlanta. And so when you came for seminary, did you seek out a seminary in a big city? Was that a priority for you? Um, or was it no. kind of, it ended up, uh, you ended up falling in love with it later? Fell in love with it later. Being in a big city was not a priority. And to be honest, it is still not on the forefront. I like the amenities of a larger city, but <laughs> because I grew up in a smaller town, it is still something that I long for. Um, and going home always recenters me in home being uh, the town in Texas where I'm from. Mm. Well, can you tell us uh, what are some of the unique opportunities and challenges to doing ministry in a downtown setting like Atlanta? Yes. So some of the unique opportunities of doing urban or downtown ministry is that you are close to uh, the interchange or intersection of culture and society. And that intersection can be economically, academically, socially. And so oftentimes that can be surprising to people because you have to be able to adjust very quickly and be able to talk to different types of people in different sectors. So there are some days when I'm in shorts and uh, shirt, and then <laughs> yeah. there are other days when I'm wearing a uh, suit and tie. And there are some days when I'm having both of those on in the same day and need to be able to communicate <clears throat> across the board with any number of people or any number of organizations. Also, and this is something that some people may never have to consider, but as it relates to moving people through a city. Mm. So in urban sector like Atlanta, you've got public transportation, you have streetcar, you have a lot of automobile transportation, you have people on bicycles. So there's quite a bit of hustle and bustle that if you don't give yourself time uh, to make it to a certain location, or <laughs> yeah. once you set a location for a meeting, knowing that parking may not be available, mm. or accessibility to the building may not be available. So the ministry in urban sectors causes you to really think through a lot more logistics and processes and the cultural impact and the cultural entry that um, some ministries may never have to consider because of where they're located geographically. Yeah, absolutely. And, and is there anything that you feel is unique to preaching in a, in a big city setting? Yes. I think preaching in a big city setting, different from where I'm from, is the number of people you're in contact with and the diversity of those people. So in my hometown, it was easier to determine what the cultural trends and norms were and therefore have language that spoke to it. But 
on any given week when we have worship experiences, the diversity of the people. And diversity meaning cultural, diversity meaning skill set, diversity meaning vocation is so vast that um, I find myself um, studying quite often to keep up with those who are listeners Mm. because the world they live in changes so quickly and the expectation that they have of their minister or those who speak to them in public domain is to be current. And so there are places in the world where, you know, and it doesn't mean it's bad. It just moves at a slower pace. And so that's the norm. But in the urban sector, it, it is just a fast pace. And so you have to keep up individually and you have to keep up as a religious organization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the tagline for your church is doing church differently. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit with our listeners about what you think makes Impact Church uh, different and also how you embody this unique approach in your preaching. Yes. So when we initially started with a core team of about 25 people, we were thinking, okay, we're going to be high in technology. We're going to have flat screens everywhere. And it's just going to be this awesome, really cool, eclectic place. But 10 years later, we've become wiser and realized that God had a really different plan. Yes, we got cool technology and we have flat screens everywhere, but doing church differently embraces um, people and being able to meet people where they are. And so our hope and vision is always to be a multicultural congregation, although higher percentage of our congregation culturally is uh, from an African-American tradition. We do have individuals from other ethnic and other cultural traditions, and we celebrate that, in particular because we're an online community as well, so there are people who connect with us from around the world. Uh, Secondly, um, we embrace inclusion. And so when we say inclusion, we mean we welcome those who are in poverty, we welcome those who are in great wealth, we welcome those who are Uh, academically um, inclined and have so many wonderful degrees on their walls and accomplishments and those who are equally as brilliant and as smart but may not have had the opportunities some others have had Mm. and so don't have the academic accomplishments. And so we also embrace members um, regardless of their um, sexual identity and are an inclusive congregation related to sexual orientation. We embrace older adults. We embrace middle-aged adults, young adults, youth, and children. And so these are some of the things that we do differently. Um, From a programmatic side, we think through and think about worship a lot. You know, I was just having a conversation with one of our pastors, and we were looking at the space that they have primary responsibility for and raising questions to each other of how can we evolve this space creatively. And that's beyond what the sermon is going to be. That's beyond what the scripture is going to be. It is when a young person or an adult walks into this space, what do we want them to think about? What do we want them to feel? And so all of those are perspectives of doing church differently. Mm. Well, you talk about the diversity of your congregation. I think about Atlanta and um, every city, big and small, has uh, folks who are homeless. And then Atlanta also has become a real hotbed for the movie industry. And so you could have a homeless person and then you could have a visitor in town working on the latest Marvel movie. And so it kind of blows my mind the, the range of folks you might have on a Sunday morning. 
literally, and and that's real. And so those are things that we embrace. For some people, those can be challenging because having diversity brings diversity, but we see it as a strength and not as a weakness. That's great. Well, I, I watched you give a really great talk on evangelism uh, off of YouTube, and we'll link to it in the show notes so folks can check it out. And you emphasized in that talk really knowing your community. And so I'm wondering, how do you make a big city like Atlanta feel smaller? How do you get to know a community of that size and, and of that, that level of diversity in such a way that you feel your preaching is contextual? So one of the ways is being consistent in building new relationships, which should be um, second nature to the church and religious leaders, but it's not. It is so easy to become encapsulated within your church, your community, or your circle of influence. But we always have to push ourselves um, to be engaged or engage with the community. That means showing up at public events that are in the public sector. Um, that means engaging the business community. It means engaging the political community. We have partner schools, and we consistently work to engage those. And so we're at graduations. We're at teacher appreciation. All those things are important to us. So essentially, those would be some of the ways that I do it, our team does it, um, to be deeply engaged with the community. But it begins with relationships the middle is relationships, and it ends with relationships. So it's all about relationships and being willing to step outside of one's area of comfort. Yeah, and I know that you all literally step outside the walls of your church. Can you share your unique approach to sermon planning, worship planning, and all the various meetings yeah. of the church? Great question. So every year we have a big worship planning session with our key volunteers and staff who give leadership in that area. From that each month we meet to look at what's coming up over the next couple of months to make sure we're still tracking with the plans that we had or if we need to adjust. And so uh, an example of an adjustment would be no one planned for a bomb to go off um, after a concert, right. uh, you know, two days ago. But we now know uh, many people were killed, many people were injured. We didn't plan that in worship, but what does it look like for a congregation to be in tune with the world, in tune with the Holy Spirit, in tune with God, and to be able to acknowledge what's happening around the world? That sounds simple, um, and it sounds caring, but it's amazing of how many congregations are simply doing church by the numbers. And it's like a picture that's already outlined, and to go outside of that outline is detrimental. But um, when we think about worship, uh, we even think about what we call it. So we don't call it a worship service. We call it a worship experience. We want people to experience worship from the moment they come in until the moment they leave. It's hard. It's difficult. It's constant work. Um, but it's something we put our hearts and our souls to and uh, challenge each other around it constantly. That's great. And uh, I had heard that you all host a lot of your church meetings out in the community. Is that correct? This is true. And it is something that we constantly have to remind leaders about because um, like a rubber band, at the point we no longer stretch it, it will return to its original shape and size. Mm. And the same is true, sadly, for church in that people in particular who have grown up in church have a certain traditional bend that if not stretched will go back to that bend. 
so tonight I'm helping to lead a small group and um that small group is meeting in a local cupcake um <laughs> business. That's cool. Uh before that I will be in a community um sharing with a family as their uh young child is being baptized. You know, mm. um earlier this week, you know, I was having breakfast in a business club um that's in downtown Atlanta. So that's just my schedule, but each of our team members can tell you of those experiences. You know, our youth pastor has gone with several graduations. So we encourage people not only to meet in the public domain, but to engage the public domain. Each of these are key and important um, to doing church differently and being in community. Well, you describe yourself uh, as an introvert, but when you preach, you bring an immense amount of passion, and you are not afraid to really challenge folks. And so how important—you you mentioned this very briefly at the beginning of the interview, but, but how important is passion for you in preaching? And then what advice do you have for those preachers in our audience who also identify as introverts? Yeah, passion is key. Um, I am an introvert, and I've embraced that, and I believe I'll be that until— you know, the Lord uh, calls me home, but I've learned that God has uniquely gifted me in the area of passion around things that I feel called to or feel concerned about. And so preaching is one of those areas, but it's not the moment of preaching only. It's what I'm preaching about. You know, this coming Sunday, I'll be reflecting on Jeremiah 29 verse 11 where God says, I know the plans that I have for you, you know, plans yeah. to give you fulfillment, uh, prosperity, love, and joy, all those kind of things. And so I get an opportunity and our other clergy get an opportunity every weekend, primarily to speak to people who feel broken, you know, to speak to people who feel the world is lost and speak to people who, because whatever dream they had, hasn't happened in the timetable that they ask God to allow it to happen. They feel as if God is no longer there or God cares about them. Mm. How can you not be passionate to spend, you know, 20 minutes telling people and reminding people that God has a plan for them? So passion is key for me, and it does help me step out of my uh, introvert frame, but I am not the person that people see on the stage or in public domain um, 90% of the time. I can function as an extrovert whenever I'm speaking, but it is not my um, way of life on a on a regular basis. Yeah, that's good. That's part of how you know it's a calling when, when God can kind of flip that switch for you. Yeah, awesome. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned having other uh, pastors and preachers in your congregation, I have noticed that you uh, share the opportunity to preach quite a bit in your church. Why is that important for you? It is important because I remember my father had a um, poster in his uh, office that said the 10 ways to become a better reader. Number one, read. Number two, read. Number three, read. (laughs) All the way to number 10, read. And the same thing is true with preaching. You can study preaching, you can hear preaching, um, but the best way ultimately to become a better preacher is to preach. And never limit yourself to the areas of preaching or where you preach. A quick story, I was um, uh, serving in a local church some years ago, and I was invited to speak at another church. And I remember having a conversation with the pastor in the pastor's office, 
And I noticed his mannerism um, was shifting. And I became concerned. And I could tell he was concerned. And he asked me, did I know the audience I was preaching to? And I assumed the audience was for the adults. And he said, no, (laughs) it's our children. And this uh, church was configured with a main level and then a basement level. And then the basement level um, was where they hosted their children's experience. And so imagine me inviting people from the church where I was uh, on staff to come hear me preach. And then going back to say, hey, I'm preaching, uh, but I want to let you know I'm preaching to young people in the basement. And so... Those were opportunities for me where, you know, God has always constantly remind me, oh, the audience is always vital. The audience Mm -hmm. is always important and never get comfortable speaking to one group of people. So that's one of the reasons. And, of course, it comes with pushback because there are people who would prefer to only hear from one particular person. There are folks who like uh, preaching from other people better than me, and I get that. And then there are some people who want me to be the only preacher all the time. But I think as you look at the Jim Collins model of a level five leader, I would not be um, a good leader and hopefully going on to be great leader if at the end of a journey of serving at a church, there were so many people who could have become gifted and better communicators, but they never got that opportunity because Olu has to be the primary communicator all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests, and the first one is, one of your, what is one of your most favorite or most challenging preaching experiences? Whenever I speak now at school settings with younger uh, age groups, because the language shifts so quickly that remaining adaptable to the conversation and using illustrations, those are always, and as I get older, more and more (laughs) difficult for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have a preference for uh, preaching Christmas Eve or Easter? Um, Either is fine for me. Um, I get excited more so about Easter and then Christmas Eve, but have enjoyed both experiences. Who have been some of the most impactful preachers uh, or non-preacher communicators in your life and why? So, um, of course, those you would know who are global and historic, um, and I won't name those. I'll name people who folks may not know, in particular on a national, regional level. Uh, One, a mentor, um, Lawrence Young, who was the person that I accepted and realized my call as I was um, a youth in his new church plant. And he gave me an opportunity not only to preach, but he gave me a responsibility to prepare. And so I remember um, being in college with a lot of peers who were um, in ministry. And I look back from where we were then to where we are now, each of them are gifted, but there was something different about my journey. And it wasn't that I was a better communicator or a more gifted speaker. I had a different discipline that my mentor gave me that their mentors didn't. And so it has served me well. Other communicators for me really are beyond what we would call our immediate religious community. So there are communicators 
who are in medical profession. Uh, one of my good buddies, Greg Gray, who is uh, a trainer coach who does a lot of public speaking for public companies to help their staff go from one level to the next. And I would put Greg Gray up against any preacher or anybody <laughs> yeah. who helps me out so much. So those are just some of the people and experiences that have, uh, I've admired and, uh, and have helped me along the way. That's really great. And I want to tease out something real fast that you mentioned. You talked about uh, how hard you work at, at preaching and the discipline that that mentor instilled in you. I think preaching is one of those things that we oftentimes think is just innate. You either have it or you don't. But would you speak for a, a second just about the importance of, of the hard work that goes into preaching? Yeah, very, um, it's hard, you know. Now, depending on who you are and how you've been trained is different. There are some people who spend hours and hours and hours on sermons sitting. I've never been able to do that. For me, the hours are spent collecting and thinking and talking out loud and writing and note-taking. And so I don't have the discipline of sitting in a chair or a room for, you know, several hours a day on a particular day. For me, my sermon experience in prep is a gathering. And the hardship of that is it's it's constantly on my mind. I'm I'm constantly digesting, constantly practicing, constantly thinking about examples and stories. The next part of it is the exegetical work of preaching. So being able to reflect on commentaries, being able to reflect and hearing the human commentary of people experiences. Mm. And then I tend to be a person who uses a lot of props and stories and video. So, uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been at Home Depot or Lowe's (laughs) and trying to find the right pot or the right stones and all of these kind of things. And there are times when I'm like, you know, this sermon can be a lot easier if I didn't use this prop uh, because it's taking forever. But when you hear the stories of people and how, that message impacted them in such a way, um, you know, it's worth it, the hard work that we do for sermon preparation, both um, in the logistics of it, the reading of it, and we can never forget the spiritual, which is the prayer and the meditation and all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. Would you have any books or other types of resources that you would recommend our audience check out? Yeah. Um, any, I think any preaching book, uh, it is a good book, but just know that you always have to read it based upon the context that it was written uh, and the era that it was written in. Yeah. Commentaries uh, are good. I've invested in Logos, and so uh, it gives me a number of commentaries via my computer that I can pull up and hear any number or read any number of reflections on a particular scripture. Also, in, it's not a physical book, but it's the book of, of life. So making sure as you're preparing to preach that you're doing it in the world that you're preaching to. So it's great that some preachers prepare a sermon in isolation, but you're not preaching it in isolation. You know, go to right. a local coffee shop and overhear a conversation about a tragedy in someone's life. It will impact your sermon that Sunday. I love listening to people in the airport because it's amazing. There are just so many conversations in airports and it's okay, you know, to listen in on people in airports. People don't think you, you know, there's something (laughs) wrong with you, Yeah, but you've got to be able to digest the world that you're living in so that it becomes a reflection because if not, people will disconnect because you're not talking to them. 
the reason you're not talking to them because you don't know what they're going through. Yeah. So those are just some of the suggestions. That's great. And finally, if folks want to reach out and say hi or follow your ministry, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, great stuff. Our website, impactdcd.org. Um, also, I've got a new book out, Leadership Directions from Moses, and came out uh, in April, published by Abington Press. You can go to my <clears throat> website, olubrown.com, and you can communicate with me, hear more stuff about the book and the resource uh, to become a better leader and to go from good to great. Awesome. Well, Olu, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.